Hey everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to Morgrats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. Well, Heidi, I think some congratulations are in order. Thank you. Yes, yes. we're pretty excited. We had another grand baby this week, so everyone's happy and healthy and at home, and we're all very excited. That's awesome. So awesome. So yeah. now we're tied. We have five each. That's right. We are tied. <laughs> Only well, ours are going to keep going. I'm not sure. Are you going to have any I more? I don't think so. I asked, I showed pictures of, of the new baby to my girls and said, uh, anybody's ovaries aching? And my one daughter said, oh, if I could afford another baby, I would have one. And then the daughter that has twins said, no. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have not gotten that answer from my girls, so yeah. I think there's more in their future, but we're very happy with what we all have so oh, far. Oh, yes, so. yes. And being grandma is better for me than being a mom. It's so incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, before we start, we want to remind you we are talking about death. If you are easily offended by rude humor and foul language or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor, and for us, it's a lot better to laugh even when you feel like crying. So Heidi, this is going to be a fun little spooky episode. We are going to talk about cursed objects. And our funeral home story tells about the time the undertaker watched his mentor make a big mistake. Yeah. So today we're talking about curses and bad fortune and our funeral home story is a little gross. Well, not by our standards. No, no, but we have to get that obligatory warning in there. If any of this subject matter makes you feel uncomfortable, please skip this episode. As always, listener discretion is advised. That said, welcome to episode 27. Don't Don't touch that! You too. Heidi, can you remember mom and dad yelling at you not to touch something? Of course, especially when I went snooping around in their bedroom. Did you ever find anything interesting in there? I'm still traumatized. No comment. (laughs) One time, I found something in mom's bedside table. (laughs) And she told me it was a muscle massager. (laughs) But, and I believed her, you know, had no reason not to. But then I get a little older and I hear girls talking about vibrators. And so immediately I'm thinking, well, I mean, that plugged in and it vibrated. Mom lied to me. She has a vibrator. That wasn't a muscle massager. That was a vibrator. Gross. (laughs) So I go snooping around to make sure that is what it was. And no, it really was a muscle massager. (laughs) I'm so relieved mom didn't have a vibrator. Well... You must not have looked on the shelf in her closet. Gross! (laughs) Hey, Dominique. What? What do a vibrator and tofu have in common? What? They're both meat substitutes. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, let's just take a moment to salute the genius who invented the vibrator. If you build it, they will come. That is true. (laughs) Well, we've all been told not to touch something. Usually it's because it will hurt us, like it's a hot pan or something sharp, or it's something valuable and we might break it. 
but supposedly there are items in this world that will severely harm or even kill you if you touch them. Let's talk about what makes an item cursed. According to J.W. Oker, who is an award-winning author and cursed objects expert, a cursed object is something that gathers stories to itself, specifically tragedies. He also says that for an object to be cursed, it must harm someone. Evidently, if you received a cursed object as a gift, that is the worst. It's one thing if you hear someone lay a curse on you or if someone places a dead chicken on your doorstep, because then you're aware of the curse. But if you receive a cursed object as a gift, you may just think it's a peace offering given to you by someone you had a tip with. And it may also be so beautiful that you want to keep it. So you touch it, and by doing that, you release more and more of the negative energy that is attached to the item. The nastier the curse, the worse the energy. Uh, it sounds like a bunch of horse pucky to me. Yeah, me too. I don't believe in this stuff either. But... I don't want to fuck around and find out either. Yeah, no, me neither. So technically, does that mean we do believe? I think that just means we're cautious. Yeah, well, a lot of ghost stories and hauntings, many curses have been debunked, but that's no fun. So let's act like believers and explore some scary shit. All right, well, the article, Personal Protection Against Cursed Objects, written by Cassandra Eason, tells us how we can spot a cursed item. I'm going to read directly from the article. You can be fairly certain an item is cursed if, almost immediately after receiving it, you start getting splitting headaches, have a spate of accidents or breakages, feel constantly jittery, become unable to sleep, or worse still, have vivid nightmares in which you are viciously attacked or injured. You may also experience a run of unexpected and undeserved bad luck, and those around you may be quarreling or spiteful as they pick up on the vibes transferred into the home from the object. Ms. Eason also says to be wary of unexpected gifts from someone you know doesn't like you, especially if they are personal items such as jewelry or artifacts. Beware of secret admirers, people, and be very skeptical of any enemies who wish to patch things up. Okay, let's dive into some supposedly cursed objects, starting with the Hope Diamond. This is a humongous diamond that came from a mine in India, and when I say humongous, I mean humongous. It is nearly 46 carats now, but it was originally much bigger before it got cut down and refined. The gem has an estimated worth of 200 to 350 million dollars. This rock is famous not only because of its size, but also because of its blue color. The diamond was acquired by a French gem merchant in the mid-1600s. It passed from royalty to the private sector and now resides in the Smithsonian. Since the Smithsonian is a national museum, the diamond technically belongs to the American people. As legend goes, the diamond had been one of two stones serving as eyes in a Hindu, Hindu idol. Someone stole one of the eyes and ta-da, now it's cursed. Apparently, anyone who owns or has come into significant personal contact with the Hope Diamond has had some bad shit happen to them. Here's some incidences of the curse. Two of the owners died from suicide. Five of the owners were murdered, and not just murdered, but killed in vicious ways. One was thrown from a cliff with his wife and child. One was killed by Russian revolutionists. Two were hunted down and hanged by mobs, and one was torn to pieces by wild dogs. Several more owners have died in despair and financial ruin. Well, it sounds like those were the lucky ones. Yeah. Still, other people who were either borrowing the diamond or just safeguarding it weren't spared either. 
One woman who borrowed the Hope Diamond was murdered by her lover, while another woman who wore it was torn to pieces by a French mob. One man who was given the task of simply polishing the stone was imprisoned and tortured. So it's just like I've always suspected. Diamonds are overrated. Hey, Dominique. What? Do you know the only thing harder than diamonds? <laughs> what? A redneck at his family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our next one. What about Robert the doll? Have you ever heard of this creepy little guy? Yes, it's hard for me to even look at him. And I know he's old, but I can't imagine him ever being cute, even when he was fresh out of the box or wherever he came from. Okay, well, the doll was manufactured by a German toy company, and not all of them were named Robert. You know, like all Raggedy Ann dolls are Raggedy Ann. That's not how it was with this doll. I'm pretty sure the name was given to him by his owner, a boy named Robert Eugene Otto. So the kid named a creepy doll after himself? <laughs> I guess so. But the kid went by Gene, so... The details have been lost to time, but Jean received the doll one of two ways. Some say it was given to Jean by his grandfather, and others say it was given to the boy by a maid who worked for the autos. Either way, the maid is responsible for cursing the doll because she didn't like her employers, who would have been Jean's parents. Robert is a large doll. He's like 40 inches tall. So Jean used one of his own sailor suits to dress Robert. Soon after Jean received Robert, strange things started happening. If things were moved or broken, Jean would always say, Robert did it. Now, to me, that sounds like a mischievous, mischievous? Mischievous. Mischievous uh, child. But remember, we're believing in curses today. By all account, that's you. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm on mischief. Okay, so we were having a debate. Okay, I thought she was setting me up. All right, no. Full stop. Yes. It's mischievous but some people say mischievous i say mischievous and apparently that's wrong so when we were going over this we were going over this and she said she read mischievous and i said it's mischievous mischievous if you say mischievous people are going to think you're stupid (laughs) (laughs) i honestly thought she might be setting me up but i wasn't sure yeah so we called mom (laughs) yeah we we called mom what is it and she wasn't much help. She said, well, it's mischievous, but a lot of people say mischievous. Anyway, yeah. mischievous. That just didn't come naturally, and I stumbled, and now she's had to point it out. So, yeah, there Sorry. you go. Sorry. All right. Here? Yep. All right. <laughs> <sighs> now I'm all flustered. Okay. Well, anyway, we're remembering, we're believing in curses today. So, by all accounts, Gene was an odd child, and he grew up to be an odd man. He had an unusual relationship with Robert, treating the doll like a human playmate, even into adulthood. When Jean got married, his wife did not care for Robert, so Jean set up a room in an attic specifically for the doll. People walking by outside the house could see Robert up there looking out the window, and often Robert would be in different positions and even appear to have different expressions on his face. When Jean and his wife died, a a different woman bought the house, but Robert remained, which is no way. Yeah. Sorry. Why would you keep that? I don't know. I don't know. Go look up Robert the doll. He's creepy looking, man. Anyway, this new woman's guests reported hearing footsteps and laughter from the attic. The new owner finally said nope and donated Robert to a museum. Now, this entire thing is a little creepy because, well, dolls. Um, but it gets creepier. It seems this cursed little doll does a little cursing of his own. 
When visitors come to see Robert in the museum, if they mock him or otherwise disrespect him, they find themselves in a world of hurt. Robert has been blamed for divorces, bankruptcies, accidents, broken bones, job losses, you name it. He will also curse you if you take his picture without asking permission. Because of this, Robert receives one to three letters per day from people asking for forgiveness and for him to lift the curse. He also receives gifts from adoring fans or from those who just want to keep on his good side. The museum has accumulated so many letters they had to start a catalog. Can you imagine writing a letter to a doll? So creepy. Yeah, it is. Well, Robert the Doll is just plain creepy. Okay, I'd heard of the Hope Diamond and Robert the Doll, but I hadn't heard of this last one. It's a haunted grave. Ooh, yay. Nice and spooky. Well, somewhere in Kentucky lies the body of Carl Pruitt. And this mofo means business. The story begins in late 1930s when Carl came home, probably unexpectedly, and found his wife humping another man. (laughs) I know you hate that word. I hate that word. I hate it. Can't you just say playing a little game of hide the sausage? (laughs) Making the beast with two backs. Stirring the macaroni. There we go. (laughs) Anyway, Carl was pissed. He strangled his wayward wife with a chain, then took his own life. I'm not sure what happened to the other guy, but I guess he lived. Carl was buried in a cemetery, a tombstone was erected, and that was the end of that, right? Wrong. Some kids were riding their bikes in the cemetery, just messing around, you know, normal kid stuff. One boy saw Carl Pruitt's headstone, and it looked like there was an outline of a chain on it. The kids started throwing rocks at the tombstone, just being a little shit, and then all the kids got on their bikes and started to ride home. Well, the rock-throwing kid never made it home. His bicycle chain came off the sprocket, somehow got wrapped around his neck, and strangled him to death. The dead kid's mom evidently thought this was the tombstone's fault, so she went to Carl Pruitt's grave and started hacking at the headstone with an axe. Later, while she was hanging out her laundry, she was strangled to death by her clothesline. In another incident, a man decided to use Carl Pruitt's tombstone as a target and started shooting at it. What is with people desecrating graves? It's just, that's not cool. It's not cool. Not cool at all. Well, the gunshot spooked the guy's horses, and guess what? He got strangled in the reins. Throughout all this, Carl Pruitt's tombstone came through unscathed. Yikes. So, like we said, lots of curses have logical explanations behind them, but you can't help wonder if there really is something mystical going on. Yeah, and if you guys believe in this stuff, we're We're not not fucking fucking judging. I really want to believe in hauntings and ghosts and curses, but I have a feeling I won't until a ghost comes up and grabs me by the face. Well, maybe you shouldn't have fallen asleep in Villisca. (laughs) (laughs) So if you guys haven't heard episode three, we cover our stay at the Villisca house. So that's that's episode three. But anyway, Dominique, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Are you ready for our funeral home story? You know I am. The young undertaker could barely contain his excitement. Finally, after two years of grinding in the classroom, here he was beginning his apprenticeship. And the situation couldn't have been better. He would be apprenticing under Mortician Pete, a man with decades of experience under his belt. In Mortuary College, the undertaker had learned all the new embalming techniques, but Mortician Pete could teach him the old ways, tried and true ways that had stood the test of time. The young man couldn't wait to get into that prep room. Mortician Pete greeted the undertaker with a firm handshake and the offer of a cup of coffee before they got started. 
Though the undertaker anxiously wanted to get to work, he figured the polite thing to do would be to sit with the old man and get to know him better over a coffee table rather than an embalming table. Mortician Pete's wife kept refilling the undertaker's mug, even though he had indicated he didn't wish for more. She did not fill her husband's mug, though, because the old mortician's cup stood full, his little sips barely making a dent in the cup of mud. The undertaker hoped Mortician Pete embalmed bodies faster than he drank his morning coffee. Finally, Mortician Pete stood, knees cracking in protest. We best get to it. Yes, said the undertaker quickly. I'm ready. The novice undertaker followed the seasoned undertaker through the arrangement office and down a dark hallway, nearly bumping into the old man when he stopped in front of a door with a sign over top marked private. This is the prep room, said Mortician Pete. I know it's not as fancy as some of those bigger firms in the city, but it suits me just fine. The old man opened the door and flipped the light switch. The undertaker stepped into the brightly lit room and looked around. Two dead bodies lie on separate tables under white sheets. One looked like an average sized adult, while the other appeared to be very large. He wondered how Mortician Pete would handle this. Would they each embalm one body? Would Mortician Pete expect the undertaker to embalm both bodies while he supervised? Or would the older man do the procedures himself and just have the younger man observe? The undertaker hoped it would be one of the first two options. He'd done enough observing and was itching to put his new skills to work. As he continued to survey the room, the undertaker's attention focused on the new embalming machine. He had mentally prepared himself to find an old school apparatus which relied on gravity flow. And though the young man didn't know how to use an old machine like that, he was willing to learn. Seeing that Mortician Pete had come right along with the times as far as equipment was concerned brought much relief. I think this one will be pretty simple, said Mortician Pete, indicating the average sized person. Then he pointed to the larger body. This one will be more difficult. He's been gone a while, but the family wants him embalmed and buried. The older man put a sh- pulled the sheet from the body and balled it up in his hands and tossed it aside. The undertaker looked at the dead flesh on the table. Being in mortuary school, the undertaker had become accustomed to viewing cadavers, but those were all body donations gifted to the school by families who either had a connection to the undertaking world or who could simply not afford funeral services. And since the donation process was planned out in advance, those bodies were always fairly fresh, not like the body before him, which had already begun decomposing. The man had been large in life, but in death, his middle had ballooned to twice its normal size. Greenish purple modeling crisscrossed pale skin, tracking the veins rotting within. Mortician Pete let out a sigh. I think I'll watch you embalm that one. Again, he indicated the average sized person. And you can watch me do this guy. He slapped the huge cadaver on its bloated stomach, the sound echoing off the concrete floor and sterile walls. Gask escaped from the dead man as a thunderous burst of flatulence, and the undertaker had to put a cork on his giggles. He didn't know if Mortician Pete was the type to laugh at bodily functions, so the undertaker decided to keep quiet until Pete showed himself to be something other than perpetually stoic. The older man did not laugh, but started for the table with the average size body. Well, go on. Show me what they're teaching you nowadays. With that, the undertaker stepped up to the porcelain embalming table, heart fluttering, and gently peeled the white sheet down the length of the body, revealing a middle-aged woman with no outward appearance of disease or injury. How'd she die? asked the undertaker. 
Peach shrugged. Don't know officially. Doctor hasn't signed the death certificate yet, but she had cancer, so I'm pretty sure that's what she died from. The undertaker nodded. Good, you can't catch cancer, so he didn't have to worry about that. But someday, he would have to embalm someone with a transmittable disease, and that concerned him. The thin plastic apron and gloves which passed for the personal protection equipment would be as effective against hepatitis C as trying to defend yourself against a lion with a dinner fork. The undertaker got to work, keenly aware Mortician Pete was watching his every move. The younger man pulled a hose from a basin at the foot of the embalming table and dragged it to rest near the grayish-brown hair of the corpse. Next, he found the bottle of disinfecting soap and squirted a squiggly, neon-yellow line on the woman's body. Would there ever come a time when he didn't think of putting mustard on a hot dog? The undertaker began washing the woman's body, massaging her arms and legs with long, sudsy strokes. He picked up the hose and was about to rinse off the soap when Mortician Pete stopped him. You think you're done? The old man asked. The undertaker swallowed nervously. Yeah, I think so. You think you got everything loosened up? Think you'll get a good flow? Yeah, I think so, the undertaker repeated. Mortician Pete shook his head. You didn't massage everything. At once, the undertaker felt his insides freeze. What did this old man mean by everything? Did he expect him to touch her private parts? Well, the undertaker wouldn't. He didn't care if this was the old way of doing things. And if Mortician Pete suggested the undertaker massage this woman's breasts or crotch, he would report the old pervert to the state licensing board. Mortician Pete pointed at the dead woman's hand. I think you should work on the fingers and toes, especially the fingers. We want her hands to look good. The younger man breathed a sigh of relief and suddenly felt guilty for thinking the old man could be a deviant. I like to make sure I massage everything. Well, except the private parts, you know, the genitals. That would be highly inappropriate. Hi. Yeah. Show me your genitals. Your genitalia! <laughs> Sorry, every time's going to happen. Every time. Yes, it is. <laughs> dodging, the, dodging that potential misunderstanding, the undertaker continued to do his job, recalling all the instruction he had received in school, taking each step one by one. Over his shoulder, he could hear Mortician Pete mutter under his breath, but the old man did not intervene, just let the younger man complete the embalming the way he'd been taught. When the undertaker inserted eye caps, he heard Pete mumble. That's not the way I would do it. The undertaker closed the woman's jaw. That's not the way I would do it. The undertaker made an incision in the neck. That's not the way I would do it. Although this got under the younger man's skin, he understood that Mortician Pete was old and set in his way. Sure, the old man could teach the (laughs) undertaker tricks of the trade he'd learned over the years, but perhaps the younger man could teach Pete some new techniques as well, as if he was willing to be open-minded. An hour later, both men stood over the body, the elder inspecting it while the younger waited for a verdict. Mortician Pete clapped the undertaker on his shoulder. Good work. She looks wonderful. You'll figure out ways to make things easier on yourself as time goes by, but really, good job. The undertaker smiled. Thank you. Now, on to the next. The men carefully slid the woman's embalmed body to a stainless steel table, then, with slightly more difficulty, hefted the man's body, a swollen heap of flesh, onto the embalming table. The mere repositioning of the body released a rank stench from the dead man's bowels, and he was so bloated at his middle, he looked like an elephant seal sunning itself on the sand, arms puny and flaccid at his sides. 
How long do you suppose he's been dead? Asked Mortician Pete, as if testing the undertaker. The younger man stared at the body and thought, well, that depends. Did he die outside in the cold weather or was he inside a heated room? The older man nodded like he was impressed. He was in his living room, heat cranked to 80 degrees. Then I'd say he's been dead at least a week, maybe 10 days by the looks of him. Mortician Pete smiled. You're right. He's been dead about eight days near as we can figure. Confidence gathered in the undertaker's chest, just like the gas building up in the corpse's abdomen. Pete started the water and soaped up the cadaver, massaging arms, legs, fingers, and toes. The inflated body wobbled on the table and the undertaker could not take his eyes off the distended trunk with its mottled maze of internal decay lacing from the chest to the groin. Mortician Pete rinsed the body, turned off the water, and reached toward a countertop where shiny silvery instruments lay in neat rows. He grabbed a long hollowed metal tube and held the blunt end to his eye, peering through it like a pirate scanning the high seas. You know what this is? Asked the older man, lowering the spear-like rod, then testing the other end, the pointed end, with his thumb. Yes, it's a trocar, answered the undertaker. Correct, I trust you know what this is for. The undertaker nodded. Of course he knew what a trocar was for. All embalmers knew this was the instrument used to suck out gases inside the body cavity, then shoot preserving chemicals back in. But this was typically done after the embalming process. Why did the old man grab it now? Maybe Pete was just testing the undertaker again. He hoped so. And he really hoped the old man wasn't going to do what the undertaker suspected. Pete continued. The trocar comes in handy in cases like this. Sometimes it's good to release all this gas before you start embalming. Get the nasty out, so to speak. Before the undertaker could stop him, Mortician Pete aimed the sharp end of the trocar near the corpse's navel and with a quick thrust pierced through marbled skin. The undertaker only had time to take a step back and cover his face. An airy whoosh and a splattering wet sound followed closely by the worst odor the young man had ever smelled spoke clearly of what had just occurred. When the undertaker opened his eyes, he saw Mortician Pete standing still as a statue covered in pinkish, frothy gore. Drip, 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 rotting putrid fluid fell from the old man and onto the cement floor in a rhythmic percussive beat. The trocar protruded from the dead man's abdomen, vertical at first, but slowly listing to a 45, 35, 30 degree angle as gas escaped through the hollow tube. The men stared at each other with shocked expressions. Sir, said the young undertaker, that's not the way I would do it. The old man said nothing. He simply strode to the sink, turned on the hot water, and reached for the disinfecting soap. <laughs> that is it's so crazy. disgusting. And you know what? Back then, they didn't use face shields. I don't even think they wore masks. That is so disgusting. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like a gross, rotten shower <laughs> right in your face. Yeah, just like that. Yuck. <laughs> gross. So disgusting. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, be kind. Any day above ground is a good one. And finally, keep, keep on breathing. breathing.